So Tyler, age six, was on his way to uh, their holiday Christmas program with his mother in the, uh, in the SUV. And they were talking about what they each wanted for Christmas. And when Tyler asked his mom what she wanted for Christmas, she said, I think all I want is some peace and harmony. After a few quiet moments, Tyler was reflecting and turned to his mom and asked and said, Mom, what's a peace of harmony? <laughs> Maybe Tyler's mom was looking for a little respite from the frenetic pace that we all experience in the holidays, the decorating and the baking and the shopping and the wrapping and the packing and the traveling and the attending, the concerts and the parties and the performances. Or maybe her heart was just simply yearning for something uh, much more profound. I mean, everybody wants uh, Christmas to be a peaceful and joyful time, don't we? Sure. Uh, I mean, even our nativity sets displayed on our mantle or our piano top and our Christmas cards are always really clean and antiseptic and peaceful, aren't they? Quiet, reposing animals in a squeaky clean, fresh, hay-filled stable with the warm glow of a lantern, the first-time parents, Mary and Joseph, smiling peacefully as they hold the baby Jesus. Picture-perfect families dressed in L.L. Bean's finest outdoor clothes as they ice skate on the frozen pond of their back acres in their country estate. Pinterest-worthy tables or themed home decor or special thematic wrapping paper of all the gifts under the tree. We want a, a nice layer of fresh white powder, just enough so we could go sledding, but not enough to mess anything up. We'd like a, a larger Christmas bonus than we were expecting or maybe an extra day off with pay. Nobody gets sick. Everybody gets along with the family at least for one day. Nobody gets stranded at the airport on their way to get home. The van would start. Every grandkid takes a nap on schedule, wakes up cheerful. I love what Philip, uh, Christian author Philip Yancey once said in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, and I quote, We observe a mellow, domesticated holiday purged of any hint of scandal. The painful truth is that for millions of people, they arrive at Christmas Eve with a letdown. For a number of folks, in a, in a number of ways, the entire holiday is really one of the most difficult times of the year. There are painful memories, especially of, of the death of a loved one or some other loss in the last year, a sense of regret, a hidden sin or addiction, disappointment that you're still single, the stresses of caring for our aging parents, a lingering illness, the complications that divorce have created for our family. But you know what? The very first Christmas was anything but peaceful. There were no jingle bells, no festive parties, no glittering packages with satin bows, nothing clean and antiseptic about it at all. It was kind of a messy, complicated, and scandalous story all the way around. So this morning we're continuing our series in Advent called The Gift of Risk. We're going to take a look at today's uh, text. It's found in Matthew's Gospel, the first chapter, as we talk about the risk of Joseph. 
I'll read the text. You can follow along on the screen or in your Bible or your Bible app if you have one. Matthew 1, we'll read verses 18 to 25 from the New Living Translation. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet, quoting Isaiah, look, the virgin will conceive a child, she'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, last weekend, Matthew did a great job sharing with us about the risk of Mary, a young, God-fearing, teenage Jewish girl visited by an angel who announced that despite the fact that she was a virgin, she was going to have a baby. Now, a note to you junior high students in the room, you're going to have to have a conversation if you haven't already had one with your parents about what a virgin is. And parents, if you haven't had that conversation, it's a little late. You need to have it pretty soon. But just want to acknowledge that we're talking about potentially sensitive subjects today. I can imagine that Mary was terrified. In fact, the language of her reaction in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, translates this way in English. Confused, thoroughly shaken, deeply troubled, and very upset. I think that, friends, we've grown so familiar with the original Christmas story, having heard it so many times, that its force is lost on us in some way. If the mighty angel Gabriel appeared to you or to me, as is almost always the case when angels visit people, guess what happens? You'd be terrified too. (laughs) And that's why the first thing angels always say is what? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Exactly. Because why do they say that? Because we would be terrified and afraid. Mary's heart was pounding, her pulse was racing, the adrenaline was coursing through her body. She was also terrified because of the actual news that she received. Any teenage girl is fearful when she discovers that she's pregnant out of wedlock. Oh, no. What are we going to do? How are we going to tell my parents? What's everybody in this small town going to say? How could I possibly stay in school? How, how could I raise a, a child? I, I just can't do this. Now, today in the United States, where over one million teenage girls get pregnant uh, out of wedlock every year, Mary's predicament has undoubtedly lost some of its reality. But think about it. In a closely knit Jewish community in the first century, 
in a small town where everybody knew everything, that news that the angel Gabriel brought her certainly would not have been welcome. And then to complicate matters, Mary's anxiety was amplified because under the Jewish law, an engaged couple that was, uh, uh, or a couple that was, that was caught having premarital sexual relations without being married could have been stoned to death. And it's true that the death penalty was rarely actually executed, carried out. Uh, nonetheless, the couple would have been forced to divorce or break their engagement and uh, they would have been exposed to the community in public shame. And then after the announcement uh, of this force came to Mary, she's now got to tell Joseph. You ever wonder how that conversation went? (laughs) Now, it it might be helpful to, to dial in and remember that Joseph was not a superstar holy man with, you know, a a halo and angel wings glistening, special gifts and special power of the Holy Spirit. He was just a young, God-fearing, synagogue-attending, blue-collar tradesman in a small town, probably working really hard to build a business and gain a positive uh, reputation. He probably had dreams of of a wonderful marriage, of uh, the, experiencing joy in a, in a growing family with children and a fulfilling career. Joseph was every man. An honest, ordinary, everyday, working class man of faith and family. There wasn't anything like special about him. And he didn't know the end of the story like you and I know today. And now he receives devastating news that his fiance is pregnant. And because Joseph is very human, he would have experienced a wide and sweeping range of human emotions that would have accompanied this kind of bad news. You, you saw what? You, you talked to who? Uh, what, what did he say? How's this supposed to happen? Are you sure you haven't been cheating on me? Did you tell your parents? What did they say? Are you going to keep going to school? Like, what's everybody in the neighborhood, in the town of Nazareth, going to say? Mary, I'm just really having a hard time believing any of this. We can surmise that at least at some level, he struggled believing Mary was telling the truth because at that moment, The text tells us that he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, in Bible times, Jewish marriage customs were radically different than what we know today in the West. Uh, Marriages were largely arranged by the parents of the bride and groom, often without consulting the people, the couple to be married. A contract was prepared Uh, between the groom's parents who paid a bride's price to the parents of the bride, and such a contract was deemed uh, binding. The couple was considered married, even though the actual ceremony or the consummation of the marriage um, would not occur for a a period as long as perhaps a year or longer afterwards. It was during this engagement period they were betrothed or engaged to be married, Uh, that the angel Gabriel then visited Mary and 
told her of her impending pregnancy. So no doubt when Joseph became now aware of Mary's pregnancy, it would have been cause for great consternation on his part. He was probably hurt, confused, conflicted, angry. I mean, the only logical conclusion that Joseph could reach on his own was that Mary was now pregnant by another man, that she'd committed adultery against him. Because that's the only way you get pregnant. But Joseph did not want to subject Mary to public embarrassment or ridicule or criticism or judgment or possible death. And although we don't know a lot about the logistics of what it means to divorce someone quietly at this stage in culture, it presumably means that Joseph intended to dissolve their union with as little public fanfare and attention as possible. It strikes me that this seems extraordinarily kind of Joseph, speaks to the kind of man that he really was, given the circumstances. And then God invited Joseph into the risk of trust as he invited it, visited him in a dream. The text continued, as Joseph considered breaking the engagement quietly, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she'll have a son, and you're to name him Jesus, where he'll save his people from their sins. Do you notice once again the very first thing the angel said? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. I think it's interesting that he didn't shame Joseph for having fears, worries, Doubt and unbelief, or hurt or anger, or even his proposed course of action to divorce her quietly. He didn't reprove him for being a fully human being. Rather, he invited Joseph to release to God all of his fears and to trust him for an uncertain future. Now, the angel didn't promise many specifics, did he? (laughs) The what, in general, was clear. This baby, planned by God, prophesied by the Old Testament prophets, would bring about salvation of all mankind through the forgiveness of sin. But the angel of the Lord was pretty scant on the details of how that would happen. And rather, he pointed Joseph to whom he could trust this baby, Jesus. And so Joseph's story, his part of the Advent narrative, is an invitation into the risk of trusting God for our uncertain future. Trust involves risk, doesn't it? Because we don't know how our story, our life story, our part of God's bigger story is going to unfold or turn out. And just as God did in Joseph's case, he, sh- he seldom shares with us many details of how our future is going to work out. And actually, that's, a, that's probably a gift. It's a shield from what would cause a great deal more anxiety if we knew. 
He reminds us who we can lean on and trust through the unfolding of his complicated and messy plans for our lives and those that we love. Now, back to the story. In the middle of having received this troubling, confusing, disturbing news from his fiancée, Joseph is visited by the Lord in a supernatural dream. Now, both Scripture, Old and New Testament, and history of God's people indicate that sometimes God speaks supernaturally through dreams. One of the questions I have immediately is, but how can we be so sure that a dream is from God? I mean, I think of some of the dreams I have. <laughs> and all of you do too, right? Well, this, this question is certainly worth our extended investigation in another time and another place. It warrants paying attention to how do we know if a dream's from God. But for the sake of our time to get to this morning, let's just say this. A few points about dreams. Number one, don't go seeking after a supernatural dream. If God chooses to give you one, secondly, welcome it. Don't rebuke it. Don't, don't discount it. But don't seek it. Welcome it. Write it down in a journal or in a notebook or the back of your Bible uh, because very often the nature of dreams is that we'll forget them. That's the way they are. By noon, when you're eating lunch, you forget what you dreamed about the night before. And then trust God to reveal its meaning over time. Now, in many cases, with the exception of the pagans in the Bible record, Pharaoh, King Nebuchadnezzar as examples, those who received the dreams understood their meaning, with the exception, major exception of Daniel. He didn't get it. God had to send the angel to tell him. And we're still confused about what Daniel's dreams mean, <laughs> honestly. Um, but God will unpack it for you if, if uh, he wants to communicate. So if you receive a dream... Just know this, if, if you receive a dream that you believe is supernatural, God's supernatural direction for your life, God provides that kind of supernatural guidance and direction because he knows you're going to need the assurance that it brings. So think of it like this. A supernatural dream is like a traffic sign that says, rough road ahead. If you need supernatural guidance, be prepared for the way forward to be full of resistance and beset by doubt. And you're going to need the assurance that that dream brought in the middle of your future circumstances. So don't go, don't go be hankering after a dream, folks. <laughs> now, Joseph had a decision to make, didn't he? After the dream came. When his bad news was interrupted by a dream, because the guidance is merely an invitation to trust. It's no guarantee of anything. He had to respond to God's invitation to trust, to take the risk and trust him. He could choose to believe God. This is the risk of trust. Mary's baby really was conceived by the Holy Spirit and it has an unknown but certain future. Or he could choose to disregard the dream and proceed with the divorce. Do you ever wonder 
What if he'd chosen not to believe and proceeded with the divorce? Some people believe that Joseph had to believe that it was predestined by God to have chosen, but that to me sounds like it was a puppet. God gave him free moral agency. He could have chosen. What if Mary had said, ah, no, thank you? I like to think about these kinds of questions and don't come up with many answers. But evidently, the dream was convincing enough for Joseph to warrant compelling, decisive action. He took the risk. The text tells us that when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and he took Mary to be his wife. He responded in obedience. Now, I'm quite sure that all the supernatural revelation that God might choose to give us, whether it's in the form of an angelic visitation or a dream or a prophecy or some other uh, way, the audible voice of God, uh, it does not catalyze this kind of response all the time, does it? I can tell you there are times where I have thought I've heard God's voice in a supernatural way, and I did not respond in obedience. And I don't intend to shame any of you who maybe you feel like you at some point missed the mark where God told you to do something, and you didn't do it. The encouragement from the story is this. Let's take the risk and let's trust God with our uncertain future, whatever it might be. Let's respond like Joseph did. Let's choose to believe. Let me tell you Tina's story. Some of you have heard this before, others not. She was diagnosed with uterine cancer in a routine uh, office visit at Dr. Luttrell's office in December of 2006. And after a short, short period of time after this in December, she awoke one uh, night, in the middle of the night, and sensed that there were four angels, in, one in each corner of our bedroom. And I'll read to you her, her words. They convey the force of the story. I quote, Tina says, I can't say now how I knew it, but I knew they were there. I thought, I must be in serious trouble if I need four angels. <laughs> then, a few nights later, I had what I call a God dream. I'd never experienced anything like this before, but I knew it was a dream that the Holy Spirit had given me. I sensed by the Spirit that he said, these are the names of the four angels and the four evil creatures from your dream that they are combating. The angel of life, combating the spirit of death, the angel of health, combating the spirit of cancer, the angel of peace, combating the spirit of fear, the angel of faith, combating the spirit of unbelief. I immediately wrote the dream down in my journal so I wouldn't forget it. I emailed the dream to my friends, family, and the team of people who have an ability to interpret dreams here at the vineyard. The team came to my house to share their thoughts and to pray together. But even though I had a powerful dream, I still had to choose to believe that it was God trying to speak to me. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit continued to bring peace each day thereafter. For those of you who don't know, she was uh, uh, supernaturally healed without the need for chemo and radiation and has been cancer-free 
uh, since uh, January of 2007, for which we're deeply grateful. But supernatural revelation, dreams, audible voices, prophecies, angelic visitations, which are all quite normal in the course of the way God interacts with his people, are just invitations for us to trust him for what's ahead. What is the bad news that you've received this Christmas season or maybe this past year? Have to do with your health, your relationships, your marriage, your children, your grandchildren, your extended family, some issue causing fear or anxiety or worry, does it have to do with work, finances, provision, security, retirement, loss or pain or uncertainty? Has your relationship with God been challenged in some way? Have you been plagued with doubt and uncertainty? Some things that you were quite confident about, maybe now today you're not quite so sure? Well, the story of Joseph invites us to risk trusting God with the bad news. And it does that in four ways. And I'll finish by sharing these four. The story of Joseph invites us to risk trusting God. The first way is to risk being kind. It's difficult to imagine, really, isn't it, what Joseph must have gone through when he came to know about Mary's pregnancy after he was engaged to her. It wasn't easy for him to handle. Uh, He must have felt feelings of anger and betrayal and dismay and frustration and desire for revenge and confusion about the road ahead. It was a mess. It was, it was just a complicated, messy, scandalous time. But he chose to be kind and forgiving. He extended mercy because he knew well that mercy always triumphs over judgment. Being kind takes a risk, though, doesn't it? I mean, it's a whole lot easier to be road rage, rude and impatient and unloving and judgmental and harsh and bitter and critical. It's easy to be those things. And I'm only speaking out of the soil of my experience. You know. But Joseph was kind. He bore the fruit of the Spirit. He was tender-hearted. Risk being kind. Second, risk being open to the supernatural. When he was contemplating what to do with his bad news, Joseph received divine intervention, and we too should welcome it, however it comes. Rather than worry about being deceived or or that the age of miracles has passed and God doesn't move that way, or, well, aren't you afraid the devil can pull a fast one on you, or all that stuff, just welcome God's voice through the Holy Spirit. He's a communicating God, still speaking today. But know this, that supernatural direction almost always implies difficulty ahead. Third, risk being obedient. 
Fear didn't stop Joseph, and it doesn't have to stop us. Mary and Joseph had every right to be afraid, didn't they? Their lives were literally falling apart and would continue in that small Jewish community for years to come. They had no idea of what lie ahead, but they didn't let their fears stop them from obeying what light they had. They didn't look at their challenging circumstances, but looked to God who controlled their circumstances and their future. Now, friends, I, I, I totally understand that when we try to figure out what responsibility does God's sovereignty have and what part does our human responsibility and the choices of others have mixed together for how the future unfolds, that's a confusing, gnarly mess. It is, because you look at the world today and you think, God can't be responsible for all of that. And if he is, then, like, he serves a different God than we imagine. The point is, they had no idea what lie they had, but they didn't let their fear stop them from trusting God to, to unfold it in the, in the manner in which he chose. They didn't look at their challenging circumstances, but looked to God who controlled their circumstances. You think about it, that prophecy that God gave rooted in the book of Isaiah, which, by the way, when you read the, prophet, the original prophecy of the Virgin Mary, it has nothing to do with a, ba- a virgin having a baby. You realize that, right? When you go back and read what Isaiah actually said, it was strange. Like, it was the prophetic interpretation by the Holy Spirit of what Isaiah wrote that the angel was quoting to, to Joseph. Anyway, that's another story. I didn't mean to take a sidebar there, but uh, God had a lot of controlling to do to get that prophecy to come to pass at the right place, at the right time, uh, in the right culture at the right time of history. I mean, God had a lot of pieces on the chessboard to move in order to get that thing to come to pass. How he did it, I don't know. Uh, there were a lot of people who had power of choice to say yes and no in those seven decades, seven hundred years since Isaiah gave that prophecy. But the story of Mary and Joseph shows us how to trust God for an uncertain future when his plans, as he reveals them to us, you're going you're to have a baby who's going to save the world from their sins. Hello! <laughs> what? <laughs> God, don't you know the only way sin is forgiven is by the animals that get sacrificed? Like, it went against 4,000 years of religious tradition. The word that God gave her, like, it broke all the rules. It didn't make any sense to them, but they said, God, we're going to choose to believe you. We're going to choose to believe that your word for our future is true. God had a lot of controlling to do. The story of Mary and Joseph shows how we can trust him, even when his plans are confusing and don't make a lot of sense. From a human perspective, at the moment, I can imagine to Mary and Joseph, the plan made no sense at all. It just didn't fit anything that they, with which they were accustomed. But they displayed faith anyway. So risk being obedient as they were. And fourthly, risk being flexible. Now we, of course, know the end of the story, right? In hindsight, we've heard it so many times, we go, oh yeah, Advent, mm. kind of yawn our way through the story because the words we can almost like Linus 
like stand up and repeat them from heart because we, we know them so well. We know the end of the story, but they did not. Their plan at the moment was known and comfortable. We're going to get married. We're going to invite all our friends and family to a big celebration. You're going to have a, a baby and a family, and I'm going to build my carpentry uh, and uh, furniture-making business, and we're going to grow uh, uh, our family here. We're going to go to the synagogue and worship regularly, and we're going to have friends. And, and you know, they just projected forward the kinds of things that a young married couple would have expected. Their plan was known Their plan was comfortable. God's new plan was unknown and very risky, filled with uncertainty. And so they had a choice to make. What plan would they follow? Well, fortunately, they adapted, were flexible, and chose God's plan. And I doubt in that moment if they had any idea what hung in the balance uh, on their decision to embrace the calling that God had for them. I don't think they, they understood. We know now, but I don't think they did. They had really no clue. Uh, like the role that they were playing, how significant it really was. It was risky. I doubt that they ever regretted the decision once they made it. It's interesting. You, you kind of think, oh, what happened to Joseph? Because when Jesus was crucified, he wasn't there. Maybe he was older and he had died very likely, because life expectancy was, was short in those days. But you kind of wonder, like, what happened to Joseph? Was he fully engaged for as long as he lived, and then Mary was a widow by the time Jesus was crucified? We don't know. That's just a little tidbit. I, I don't think they regretted the decision that they made. The invitation to risk and trust God means that we have to abandon our known and predictable plans and be flexible and embrace the difficult, perhaps unknown, but meaningful plans that God has for us. Maybe it's to go back to school, or to take a new job, or to invest financially in a local ministry or not-for-profit or this church, to befriend a certain co-worker or a neighbor or someone from whom you've been estranged, to start volunteering to engage a complete life reorientation and do a cross-country move or to join a missions organization. I mean, I'm just illustrating a few of the things that that might represent the kinds of invitations that God might be uh, issuing in the next year. Even if God's direction makes no sense whatsoever, be willing to be flexible Sometimes the things that God's inviting us into will not make sense like it didn't for Mary and Joseph. So look at God instead of what we think makes sense. We will struggle as they did. But if we can push past those struggles, be obedient and flexible, then God can use us in incredible ways. Be kind Be open to the supernatural, be obedient, be flexible as we embrace the risk of Joseph.